Hey listeners, this is Ben Campbell and welcome back to Revival on the Air today. Today on the podcast I have Ben from our North London Fellowship in the UK. I recorded this interview at Christmas time but because I messed up the audio recording we've had to do a fair bit of behind the scenes re-engineering of the audio to try and get it to an acceptable quality. But I guarantee it's worth the effort because Ben has a great story to tell about how God transformed his life. Enjoy. Hello, Ben. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good. English, Ben. So welcome back to Australia. Thanks, mate. We're recording this at Karakalinga at our church camp. Yep, that's it. I'm really glad you've taken the time to tell us your testimony. I'm a big fan. I didn't realise that you'd been listening to it from North London. Yeah, I had, because there was a Facebook uh, post from memory. I think that's how I saw it. So I went on there and downloaded Podbean. Yep. I saw they're about half an hour long. I thought, well, that, that's really great, because you get to hear the in and outs of someone's testimony in detail. Um, which you don't always get when you hear it from the front. Yeah, it's when you hear it at church on a Sunday, you get four minutes and uh, mm. and you get the highlights, but you don't get all the depth that sits behind that, which is uh, which is really cool. So I really got into it, yeah. We just to have a, a coffee in town yesterday, and uh, I was really inspired by your testimony. Mm. So when did your journey start with God? How long ago? Well, I was baptised on July the 14th, 2013, but... Before then, I was in Australia, just travelling around, and had managed to get myself in into quite a unhealthy sort of relationship with marijuana smoking, and through marijuana smoking into other harder drugs. I never went near meth or heroin, but I tried LSD and magic mushrooms and MDMA. Quite comfortable to really try anything except from like the real bad stuff, which you know can ruin people's lives. Saying that the stuff that I was doing was going to ruin my life if I carried on doing it I probably wasn't smoking as much marijuana as some people but I was smoking a lot as some people but compared to normal people you were smoking a lot weren't you oh yeah I mean it wouldn't be unusual for us to have a joint just after waking up in the morning yeah and smoking it throughout the day you know you'd have a joint and then you go for a surf or you have a joint you go down the shops um it's just phenomenal yeah I was always a little bit stoned because I was always smoking Mm. um and, you know, I could do anything on it, you know, even <laughs> yeah, you used to smoke when we were working. And so how did that affect you? Yeah. I think you had said that you had some other yeah. symptoms other than being stoned. You had yeah, some other yeah. issues going on with Definitely, it. Definitely, Ben. Um, at first, nothing. I smoked for like probably six, seven months, quite a lot. And then paranoia kicked in. Really? Um, paranoia is a funny thing because you're not necessarily paranoid about anything in particular. Like paranoia is just like a feeling you have in your head. The best way to describe it is that you feel very uneasy. You don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You overthink absolutely everything. So I had a bit of a catch-22 situation going on. I could not ever stop smoking. There was a part of me that really liked it, but there was a part of me that also hated it at the same time. But I couldn't get rid of the bit that I liked too much. It would just, it would just, it would just take over my life um, for the time that I was in Australia. And, um, you know, I tried lots of ways of getting away from it. I went and stayed on this farm for a little bit of time just to get away from it all. And all I would do there was work and do fitness and eat nice food and that would be it. Um, But then I was always going back to where I was at the weekends and getting on it. Um, And then going back to the farm in the week to 
stay away from it <laughs> and back and forth mm. and back and forth. I was doing that for a, for a couple of months. Had you tried, because, I mean, you said that part of you wanted to give it up and part of you didn't. Had yeah. you tried to give, give it up? Yeah, I no chance. I tried. I always had it in my head. Oh, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. It's no good for you. Mm. It's, your social skills get deeply affected as well. You can't hold a, a conversation with someone because your brain isn't functioning as it should be. Um, you can't really listen to what people are saying. And you just, it just stops you from, from talking, really. So I got out of Australia. Um, that was the first time to go. And then I came back to England, worked for six months, and went back to where I was staying and um, went even harder. <laughs> that was when the sort of the symptoms... Because I, I was all right in the, sort of the first time I was in Australia. You know, the paranoia was there. Um, and then I was able to come back and sort of stay away from it from a little bit. But it was the second time where I think where I got, went even harder, um, smoking more and trying other things as well, um, where after that time coming back to Australia, that's when problems with anxiety started coming. Because you're going from like a country where you've, it's pretty easy to live. If you want to live cheap, it's fairly easy. And the second time, I wasn't working anyway. Um, so you come back to England, and it's a whole different culture. You're back on the treadmill life. You've got to find work, and you've got to start making your way. And I didn't really have career prospects. And I found work fairly comfortably, but like the anxiety um, kicked in, which I put down a great deal to the marijuana that I was smoking and just the party lifestyle just in general was no good just not living a, a clean and wholesome life so from that point I just started what is it that I'm going to do to be happy first off I got qualified in working in personal fitness and I thought okay I'm gonna have a fantastic career and um, I'm gonna be happy that way and I got that and there was still no contentment. Even though I was sort of living a fairly normal life, I was still trying to not smoke, not smoke marijuana. And I was still doing that, not as much as I was in Australia, but I was still doing it a fair bit, like a, a few times a week. Um, and other bits and pieces as well, like cocaine we did once, and that was bad, and um, a little bit of ketamine. And, you know, I was still trying to push that side of life away, and I wasn't able to. And then the anxiety got so bad uh, where I was having anxiety attacks. And um, so I w went to the doctor about it, and they um, referred me for cognitive behavioral therapy. And I had eight weeks of that. And they basically just try and teach you um, how you should act and how you should think when you're having a bad day or you're having an anxiety attack. And I, I tried that for eight weeks. And at the time, um, I was going out with my um, girlfriend. And that was another way that I was trying to find contentment through the relationship that I had. And that, en that ended badly as well. So literally, um, for the whole time before I came to the Lord, I was just trying to find my way and not <laughs> and not smoke marijuana. But um, I just couldn't get away from it. Unfortunately for myself, I have a highly addictive personality, whether it's with smoking or whether it's with work. If, I, if it's something that I like, it's 110% all, all, all the way. And that sort of played a big part in my life as well because I was always constantly chasing what am I going to do today and tomorrow so that things are good in a year. Um, I never really had that joy and contentment which you can have in the day like we have in the Lord, 
you know, the, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Mm. And it's a it's a day-by-day walk with the Lord. You can't change yesterday. And so it's all about today. And I couldn't live by that. Mm. Um, that's a healing I got when I eventually came to the Lord. So you mentioned you mentioned that you got spoken to by Martin. Yeah, that's right. So what? So how did that come about? What, what happened from there? That's an interesting story in itself. You can definitely see the Lord's hand in how I actually met Martin in the first place because a friend of mine... Um, invited me out for his birthday meal and we were mates but we certainly clash and we have arguments so I wasn't actually going to go to it Um, but split second I I changed my mind now at this birthday meal I met a gentleman who invited me to a business networking meeting and at the time I was um, trying to make my way in the fitness world and trying to build a client base for myself Um, So he invited me to this um, business meeting. And when I went to this business meeting, I met Martin because he was in it as well. And he gave me a referral to start working with him. What was also interesting is that about two weeks after that, Greg Allen was at this business networking meeting as well. So I had Martin Gladish and I had Greg Allen there as well. Um, So I had two saints um, having an influence and... I was talking to Martin and I was talking to Greg at the same time and I had no interest whatsoever really going to the church. When I first started to get to know Martin and built up a relationship with him, I could see he was a normal guy with a normal life, Um, but he's this devout Christian and he goes to a church. And the first thing that really sprung to mind when he spoke to me is that he'd just come back from young people's camp. Uh, you know, I'd been in a circle where when I, me and my mates were together, we were doing stuff which was no good for our health. But yet when the young people that are part of the church that he was doing, it was all clean, wholesome and um, profitable and fruitful. And then it must have been just such a massive contrast. Well, it was a massive contrast because Mm. even when I was doing the personal fitness, I was still partying and smoking. So it was a massive contrast. So how old were you at this time? I would have just turned 25. Yeah, okay. And I think he said to me that the church was looking for recruits. (laughs) (laughs) Not normally how people put it, but hey, why not? I think that was the Lord. (laughs) Because I remember him saying that sentence very, very clearly, and that rung some bells in my brain. Really? Was that just what you needed to hear, was it? Well, quite possibly. (laughs) Quite possibly. He wasn't particularly... Um, biblical when he was talking to me about things he would just told me about the fellowship so when I decided to go to a meeting from memory no one really spoke to me um, about the scriptures Mark 16 Acts chapter 2 John chapter 3 no one really told me about those things about the need to be born again but I was sort of left alone in a sense just to observe and just the contrast from my social circles to the fellowship it was just it was like a breath of fresh air. So it was the testimony. Of it was the testimony of the saints, yeah. That really stood out for you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, I'm sure people will listen to this, and they've been in a similar situation mm. to where I was in the past. But um, the testimony of the saints was just absolutely glittering. Yeah. Um, not that I realized that it was a testimony at the beginning, but looking back now, knowing what I know, being in the Lord for a few years, that's what it was. And it wasn't until a few weeks after coming to a first meeting where someone actually spoke to me about baptism. So I didn't do it then, but I was fully convicted that I needed to do something 
because I was looking for change and it's funny you know the night before getting baptized me and my mate were in the were in the patio at my house getting drunk and I told him I was going to get baptized and he said oh I really respect that mate <laughs> which was looking back now was really really funny um so after the morning of being baptized that's another testimony in itself is that um I was working with a football team on their fitness. <laughs> Funny that I was getting drunk the night before, but um, I lost my keys on, on this large, large field. So they finished the training session, and you're sort of walking around the field trying to find your keys, which you've dropped in the middle of a field. And you just got to ask yourself the question, you know, if I hadn't found the keys and, you know, I would have to get my dad to come and get me, would I have actually got baptized? Because when someone spoke to me about baptism... I was just seeing in my car one day thinking you've got to do it. You know, I was fully convicted at that time. And maybe if I hadn't found the keys, that, you know, that conviction would have gone. We don't know. Yeah, who we don't knows? know. But I found the keys, so I got baptized that day. And then I went home and I went around my mate's house and lit up a cigarette and had a beer. And it just felt so wrong. What felt wrong? Lighting up a cigarette yeah. and drinking a beer. Yeah. After I've just done this thing, which is what God has asked us to do. So had anyone said to you that drinking or smoking was not a thing to do? No, no, So this was just a feeling you had without anyone telling you anything? Yeah, big time. No one told me about it. Which is extraordinary given the day before you were getting tanked, so there was clearly no issue then. Yeah, that's right. And the only thing that had changed between that night and the next night was the fact that you got baptised. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I was pretty quiet about my lifestyle habits within the church and towards Martin. Um, During that time, I think I was fairly secretive. I think Martin knew I was unhappy in my life. Um, It was only after I, I came to the Lord where people knew the sort of life that I was involved with. So I went home. And two weeks later, sort of realized that I um, hadn't thought about lighting a cigarette, hadn't thought about smoking a joint, hadn't thought about having a beer. Two weeks later, you've, you've realized that you had I think it was around two weeks. Wow. It, wasn't, it wasn't an instantaneous thing where I thought I, I'd been healed. I didn't really feel anything after the baptism tank. I didn't receive the Holy Ghost in the baptism tank. Um, but I realized a couple of weeks after, oh, you haven't even thought about it. And um, That's cool, isn't it? In this interview, I guess you just have to paint the picture about the kind of person that I was. Smoking weed was always on my mind. I would base my life around doing it. You know, I wouldn't go out in the evenings a lot of the time because I know I wouldn't be able to smoke. And that was my focus, you know, just highly addictive personality. And I just praised the Lord, really, that... Because I, I tried, I've tried all different kinds of stuff. You know, I've tried MDMA, magic mushrooms, LSD, uh, ketamine, cocaine—not in huge amounts, but you know, I was willing to go beyond like the, the marijuana into like, the sort of the harder stuff. I just sort of praised the Lord that I didn't get involved with like crystal meth, or I don't think I would ever touch heroin. I think I'd have drawn the line at heroin. But do you know what? He can heal you of crystal meth. He can heal you of marijuana. Sure. He can heal you of anything. Sure. But you just don't know yeah. what would have happened if no, I had got right. stuck in that because that stuff is highly addictive. You know, uh, and I just praise the Lord that I never went that far because I would try anything. Um, simple as that. You've been baptized. A couple yeah. of weeks later, you yeah. realize that, you know, those previous vices in your life have left you. Yeah, yeah, gone. So what happened after that? Martin and Emma were encouraging me to go to summer camp. I originally wasn't going to go because of work. I hadn't touched anything still at the time after being baptized. So got the train up to Bath camp. And it's not really camp-like 
camp here, right? This is bush camp, but over there I hear it's pretty fancy. Well, it's a, I'm not sure if it's a private school. Somebody who came back recently who'd been there uh, from Adelaide said mm. it was a bit like Hogwarts. Yeah, it's a bit like Hogwarts. <laughs> well, the hall where you have your, your dinner and where this fellowship looks exactly like the Great Hall in in Harry Potter. Different to our Adelaide camp. Yeah, it's different. It's different. You've got 250 people yeah. compared to 2,000 yeah. people or yeah. whatever. So, you know, I'd gone from being in a fellowship, being baptised, sort of 60 people, to going to a camp where you've got like 250. And you're just seeing all these people from different cultures, from different backgrounds, but they've all got the Holy Spirit. And you can see that you are completely separate to where they are because you haven't got the Holy Spirit. And I was just sort of left to observe and meet people. And the speaking in tongues thing, you know, we talk about you're speaking a language which you've never learned or spoken before. I just couldn't get my head around that at all. I believed it. I believed it was true because of what had happened to me. Um, I remember the first person I met was Bob Morley. And I just asked him a few questions about speaking in tongues. And he said, oh, now I find it easier to pray in tongues than I do to pray in English. And I've, I thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. I don't really understand, but um, I'll take his word for it. So two days in... I had more chance to observe and look at the saints and listen to the meetings. And um, I wanted, at that point, I'd been praying pretty solidly for the Holy Ghost for the time that I'd been baptized to that time. I wanted it more than anything, you know, like if I was to receive the Holy Ghost and die the next day, then I'd die a happy person. So it was then when we were walking up a staircase with a few friends um, there was actually a few of the lads who were still in fellowship today who, who saw me receive the Holy Ghost. So we're walking up the staircase to our rooms and a friend of mine comes to us and says, oh, can we have some prayer for my girlfriend because she's ill? Not really having a clue about what I was going to do. I just thought, I just think I thought subconsciously in my own mind that, um, oh yeah, okay. Sat down and um, burst out speaking in tongues, which was like, I've heard different testimonies where people receive the holy ghost fairly quietly in the prayer line but for me it was, it was so for me it was so loud and so clear and so obvious that i'd received the holy ghost and i remember and i remember standing up and i sort of lost my breath a little bit in surprise that it actually happened to me and um, they said, well, when did you start speaking in tongues? And I was like, oh, just recently. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually just then. Yeah. And So what did you think? Like, what was going through your mind then? Like, to this day, you know, when I read the scripture, um, if you're not born of the water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And, you know, before that point, I, I could see what people were telling me, but I couldn't see the kingdom for myself. Um, I couldn't even contemplate speaking in, a, in, a, in another language. And now I, I had done the steps that Jesus said. I could, I could see the kingdom of God. I could see um, like the spiritual realm, um, which was separate to the natural realm. Whereas before I couldn't see that. I was just sort of taking what people were telling me from the Bible as um, I was just taking their word for it. But now I, I just knew. And there was a, a f good few days where I was flying for a, a, a long time after receiving the Holy Spirit you know I couldn't stop praying I loved it gave up the personal training after receiving the Holy Spirit because it was just never going to work because I was doing that 
and I knew what I had and I knew that I wanted to be in the fellowship and I knew that I wanted that to be my number one focus just because it was so good just to be involved in the things of the Lord. Um, so I gave that up and went back to square one. This is another miraculous testimony of mine because I had no prospects whatsoever. You know, I didn't do too well in my GCSEs and sort of messed around a little bit in my 20s and um, had no prospects. So I sort of went back to square one. I just started laboring, uh, which was all right for a while. But um, about a year or so after coming to the Lord, you know, I would imagine I've had small trials and tribulations after coming to the Lord, but nothing mattered to me. Um, they must have been so minuscule. But then after a while, so many problems came at once. You know, things at home were very difficult as my parents weren't in the fellowship. They weren't born again. My dad actually came for a little bit of time and was baptized, but gave up on things pretty quickly. So talking about the things of the Lord in my house was just like chucking fuel on a fire, which is going to cause a big row. Had they seen the change in you, though, from... They must have done, Ben. Yeah. Like, because I used to come home stoned. Yeah. You know, I'd come home with, like, fully bloodshot eyes. Yeah. And um, every now and then I'd ask my mum for a cigarette to take around to my mate's house so we could roll up. Yeah. And um, I used to go out drinking most weekends. And I wasn't doing any of that anymore. And I was just, like, this completely calm character who was just so settled and content within my own skin which was something that i just didn't have for quite a few years and isn't it interesting how though that the reason for that change becomes so offensive i mean that's a change a miraculous change for the good Mm. and the reason for it becomes you said it was you know talking about god in your house is like chucking fuel on a fire it was after a time yeah wow especially when my dad gave up on on the whole idea yeah so things at home were rough Um, I was in a job which was no good for me. I really fell off the wagon, you know, that I had that going on. So there was no peace at home, really. There was no peace at work and a couple of other things happened which were just sort of pushed me off the cliff, really. So I felt pretty desperate. So I started actually smoking cigarettes again. You know, I remember one night after it, just everything had just got on top of me too much and I just wasn't coping, buying a pack of cigarettes and sitting in the woods for a few hours. Just thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? You know, just nothing was making sense, and I just couldn't see a way out of things. So you were trying to reason, and like we do, reconcile and work out in your head about how you're going to solve all these situations that were. I don't even think I was looking up for a way to solve the the situations I found myself in. I just think I was a mess, really. I was smoking for a little bit, and I managed to get rid of it again. I'm thinking, you can't do this. You can't do this. You come all this way. You need it in the assembly. You know, people rely on you. And if, you, if you're going back to the old ways, then you're just not fit for it. So I was able to get rid of the smoking again. But then the issue with all of the stuff that was happening, and the, all the anxiety came back as well. And um, not to the extent that it did when I wasn't in the fellowship, but, you know, there were constant worrying about things and um, that was just all back in the picture again. Um, so that just went on and on and on. 
that's how it was. So how were you feeling at the time? Because obviously you said you'd, you know, you'd been flying for a while, mm. for a couple of years, and then you get smacked around with all of this stuff that often a lot of people deal with. Yeah. And then you're dragged back, not quite, but nearly into your old life. How were you feeling at that time? Like, no, just desperate, really. Desperate? Yeah. yeah, just desperate. Like, um, what am I going to do? So the first thing I did when I actually got my head together um, was I started praying about my job because my job was no good for me. I was working as a laborer for a hard landscaper um, and I was working with another guy who didn't really pull his weight around too much and so I was doing extra um, and I was just being smashed physically. So to me, I couldn't really change my living circumstances at that time. But I prayed about the job, and then a couple of days later, I got laid off from the job, which um, I was over the moon about. <laughs> um, and then there was a time fairly shortly after that where there was a massive bust-up between me and my dad. So there and then, I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I just packed my bags, and I left. And I spoke to Dan Cashford, because I know he had a spare room, gave him a call, I think, and sort of said, oh, you know, I've left home. Can I come and stay with you for a bit? And they said, look, I'm not living with my parents anymore. And just went down there, really, and just started trying to find work and got a bit of work. But then I got more work down in London. So I was sort of like staying in my parents' house in the week time. And then I was going back up to Medway for the weekend. But then um, I was praying for more proper jobs. I was back on a stable platform. I wasn't smoking anymore, and I'd gotten rid of that. It was cool. I got a call, and I came back to, to London and got a um, labouring job for a fairly large firm, so they could pay me well, and um, it was stable. And I ended up working for them for about nine months, and then I was praying for a bit more of a career. And then I went to the prayer line one day, and then like a couple of days later, I fell over on site and broke my wrist and then they were going to just pay me for the time that it took for my wrist to heal because I knew I was good and reliable. And um, and I thought, I guess, I just saw a little bit of an opportunity there to call them and say, look, can I come into the office and do a bit of this, just whatever you need doing. And then off the back of that, they offered to put me into an estimating position, estimating the tenders that came in. And then the rest is history, really. I started doing that and um, got qualified in what I do and... And now I'm in a career, I'm, I'm in a job which has longevity associated to it. And that's where I am now. Pretty amazing given that you said back in you know, three or four years before that, mm. you almost had no job no, prospects, nothing. No, and I here didn't. you are now in a great stable yeah. career, not rocking up to work stoned. <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely not. what sort of estimating jobs would come out if you were. Yeah, that's it, that's it. And one of the most amazing things that the Lord did for me was that he really calmed things down at home. Now we're at a point I'm with my mum and dad and we're actually really getting on really very well. And my dad's talking about the things of the Lord again. Wow. And, you know, he's getting more and more interested. So every prayer these days is just for the fruits of the Spirit to mm. be there in abundance in my life. You, yeah. And off the back of that, you know, my dad's back being interested again. Yeah. And, um, you know few years of hardcore trial and tribulation and way stronger for it and still in the lord which regardless you know it rains on the just and on the unjust and if it's going to rain i know i want to be in the position where i'm going to be stronger within the fellowship and still involved with the things of the lord so it's a 
an amazing life and I'm all the better for it now. Seeing what I've seen and, and been through what I've been through, um, come out the other side and just rejoicing in the Lord. Brilliant. Praise the Lord. That's Praise fantastic. Lord, yeah. yeah, amazing. Hey, uh, I've really enjoyed listening to your story and thanks. Always a pleasure. Now you've got a favourite scripture. For me, this scripture is like a pure example of like the, the power of God and um, just exactly who it is. So it's in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And it says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And just that the Lord is, the, the word that gets me is lofty because it's just such a, it's just such a good ac- adjective to, to describe God about how everything belongs to him, everything in it, all things were made by him. So it, literally if all things were made by him, he has control over all things. It just demonstrates that he's there to revive um, his children when they're in the right attitude and they're always looking to him. So it's a big scripture for me. It's a big scripture for all of us. Awesome. Yeah, sure, Ben. Thanks, buddy. No worries, appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Well, that was certainly worth the wait. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ben's testimony as much as I did. If you want to hear about how God can transform your life just like he's transformed Ben's, then visit therevivalfellowship.com. You can also find us on Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast app to Revival on the Air today. We've got a few other international guests coming up in the next few episodes, including a guest from Kenya, from Hungary, and from our very own Rockhampton in Queensland. Until next time, God bless.